Hello and welcome to the Crop It Like It's Hot podcast brought to you by The Crop Tech Show, an arable farming magazine and hosted by me, Alice Dyer. As always, you can get one CPD point for tuning into this podcast. All you have to do is email the name of the podcast plus your basis account number to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. Crop Tech is back. After two years away, we're looking forward to welcoming you back. And we can't wait. Registration for your free ticket is now open. Join us and over 150 exhibitors on Wednesday the 24th and Thursday the 25th of November at the East of England showground in Peterborough, where you'll find everything you need to make your arable business more efficient, productive and profitable. Net zero targets are being set by governments, industries and individual businesses the world over and there's a lot of talk that land managers can help them to achieve this by being paid to sequester carbon. But still very much in its infancy, rightly so, there is a lot of caution from farmers in jumping into this. So today we're going to look to get more clarity on the topic of carbon trading in this fledgling market and find out if at the moment it's looking more like a risk or a reward. We hope to help our listeners decide whether they think the market is sophisticated enough to join now or to wait a while and see what happens. As always we have a fantastic panel of guests lined up from one of the first farmers in the UK to sell certified carbon credits one of the first businesses to be trading carbon credits on behalf of farmers, and a carbon scientist to tell us more about the agronomic elements to consider. But now for my first guest, Samuel Smith of Farm Carbon Toolkit, which is a social enterprise set up for farmers by farmers to help them measure, understand and act on their greenhouse gas emissions. Morning, Sam. It's great to have you. Hi, Alice. So, Sam, you said that um, Farm Carbon Toolkit has been around now for 10 years, um, which is quite a long time in kind of the grand scheme of things when it comes to carbon. Um, Carbon, even the last year or two, the conversation around net zero and farm, how farms play a role in all of this is really ramped up. So how, how much have you seen kind of industry opinion change over that time? Yes, there's been... We've seen a rapid increase in interest on the whole subject of farm carbon and soil carbon. Um, over the last 18 months, um, we've seen our calculator users shoot up, but as well as interest in our services, I suppose. And yeah, for 10 years, we've been around um, supporting farmers to understand, measure and act on their greenhouse gas emissions. But really, the last 18 months has been incredible and i think there's a few i think there's a few reasons for that rapid increase um there's of course a net zero ambition that the uk government have committed to and that's um that's filtering through into supply chains so a lot of big companies have that net zero ambition as well and at the same time we've seen a kind of rise in this framing of regenerative agriculture, which has a big focus on soil health um, and the idea of kind of restoration that comes in that framing. And I think there's just been a general 
increased understanding of the the potential for soils to capture carbon. Um, so there's been a sort of general excitement, I think, that's going on. And of course, a massive flux in UK, UK ag policy and a clear direction of payment for public goods, which I think has made people pay more attention to um, how sustainable their farming practices are. Yeah. And there's also this view that, um, you know, carbon credits could be, you know, the next big business for farmers or land managers. They could potentially replace um, lost subsidy and things like that. So do you think that's the case? Is there is there a big business case out there for carbon credits, do you think? I'd say possibly. I'm a bit tentative about this. I think we need business models and supply chains where farmers are paid properly and paid well or producing, you know, nutritious food whilst also safeguarding and helping restore our ecosystems. But carbon credits is only one way that farmers could be paid. Um, they also might be paid through price premiums in the supply chain. So that some people call that insetting as an approach. We also see many farmers getting paid from water companies for better land management practices um, that pollute less. So there's different ways of rewarding farmers for what they're doing. But when it comes to selling carbon or carbon credits, um, that's quite different. That's about about taking the carbon kind of off the balance books, I suppose, of a farm and for it to be given as a credit to a company. Okay. That's bought that carbon. So it's a different type of thing, and it and because of that accounting that comes with it, it requires an additional amount of measuring and monitoring um, as well. And that's one of the issues, isn't it? Given what you know about um, the market, um, do you think it's a safe place for farmers at the moment, or is it is it a bit of a risk because it's in its infancy so much? I mean, at the moment, we don't even have kind of a a set way to to get to monitor these credits and things well that i'm aware of yeah that's a really good question i think there's some watch outs for farmers on this um we don't take a position saying don't do it at all. yeah do do it but we think it's probably important farmers have a few watch outs and know what they're getting they might be getting themselves into because you're right it's that at the moment in the uk there are sort of limited standards or protocols around how we measure this and how we deal with issues um, in carbon. So in carbon offsetting, traditionally, the offsetting schemes have to deal with something called additionality and permanence. Additionality is being sure that that payment is really making the difference, making a change. Otherwise, it's not not really credible or robust or um, uh, it's a credit otherwise. And then permanence is making sure that carbon that does get removed stays removed for a long period of time. So so at the moment, we don't have good protocols in the UK to provide confidence in offsetting schemes for farm carbon. Um, uh, overseas in, say, America, they've, they're much further ahead than us with having protocols. So there is a group, a consortium that we're part of that's uh, trying to create a farm carbon and soil code, which provides a sort of set of, I suppose, standards and protocols about measuring and verifying um, carbon credits. 
So that's, I think, important. But then you ask if it's a safe space place for farmers at the moment. So I think there's also just farmers just need to ask tough questions to anyone that's trying to buy their carbon. Um, one point that isn't touched on very often is having, um, for farmers, just having clear guidance on what they can claim after they've sold their carbon. Because um, because when you sell your carbon, it's not yours anymore. The buyer of that carbon has the exclusive claim to those carbon reductions because they're using it to as an offset against their own carbon. And so there's a risk. If the farm wants to say, I'm, I'm a sustainable farmer, I've, you know, I'm a, I sequester more carbon than I emit. Well, then if they sold that carbon, they can't really make that claim anymore to the their customers and that those customers might be um might be retailers who have their own ambitions on carbon so there's a risk on all of this about about farmers potentially um about retailers and not being able to meet their carbon commitments yeah scope three we call it and farmers being maybe you know not being able to i guess make progress or kind of promote their own sustainable um their carbon credentials yeah so this kind of well this goal that the industry has to be net zero we might not actually be able to reach that if we're selling all our carbon credits to me if that seems to be a risk yes it's not talked about much but um but yes the nfe for example does have a net zero ambition for agriculture in the uk and if if a, a huge number of farmers had sold their carbon on an international marketplace to private companies, then we can't we can't we can't really claim that UK agriculture is net zero anymore because yeah. it's been claimed elsewhere. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think just the other things I think watch out for is just to try and assess the robustness and understand how any schemes are dealing with additionality and permanence is it about the whole farm um or is it just about you know um carbon in the field it might be on a per acre basis so just have to try and understand what's being measured um and then also some schemes measure they don't actually come and take any soil samples on your farm it's all done through sort of proxy um measures so you implement a practice and you get paid for that practice and there's people that have done modeling that think that if you do that practice it it you know has this carbon benefit yeah Um, and what i'd say to that is that there is studies out there and you know to help you help with that modeling but it's all quite early and nascent at the moment so um there may be i don't know there may be issues it's all it does is it makes the offsetting at the moment it's not considered a high quality carbon offset broadly by by industries out there at the moment which is why it's not cut off the ground yet for farming yeah it just seems so complex like you could have you know you could have a combine fire and then burn loads of carbon through that or um you know lots of people have had to dry grain this season because it's been quite wet yeah so it just seems very i mean you can measure the soil and stuff but then 
Is it accounting for factors like that? Yeah, so most schemes, they work over several years because there's definitely a flux that can go on year to year. So we often, in our projects, will measure the, we might measure the carbon in the field in year one and then in year four or five. And then we, so we see a pick, we can see the change over a few years. So most schemes do have to last over a certain number of years. And they have things called buffers in as well to make sure we're being a bit conservative with how we measure the carbon um, as well. So so certainly that's why it's not considered a high quality carbon credit in farming because it's understood that we can't guarantee the permanence okay. in the same way that um, traditional carbon offsetting schemes might be tree planting and things where you can more clearly measure and see if that tree is still there 50 years later. Yeah. So we have we have a woodland carbon code in the UK and a peatland restoration code as well. So there's much more, those are, that's much more common and widespread, that, those kinds of carbon credits at the moment because they have the protocols um, and the experience in measuring them. Okay. I suppose the, um, the other thing that I... I believe farmers might want to have some say in as who's buying the carbon and and at the moment there's a lot of people like oil companies and airline companies that want to buy carbon credits um, to help with their CSR and so that there's nothing wrong with that potentially but um, but farmers may want to have some say in who's buying the carbon because they may feel uncomfortable knowing that they're selling their you know their carbon sequestration onto a airline company. Yeah, there's certainly a lot to think about. Yes, there is. There is. There's lots to think about, and and um, and and you know there are schemes that have started in the UK, and you know I think that's good. I think we all we need to try whatever it takes, but keep an eye on the bigger picture as well. Why we're doing this, and we're doing it because we we do need to remove carbon. From the atmosphere and the way we manage land and farming can play a big part in that but we need to just keep an eye on the bigger picture of it's carbon's really important um but it's also about our food you know we should also be working to create a healthier food system that you know provides more nutritious food as well and also consider things like biodiversity so we're quite excited about it all but just want we want it to be as robust as possible yeah, and, and not cause any unintended consequences, which can be a risk if we rush into these things. Yeah, um, exactly. Thinking them through. That's great. Thank you, Sam. And that's been a really thought-provoking conversation. Thank you, Alice. It's been lovely to speak to you. Yeah, it yeah. has. Now, hopefully to provide a little more clarity on carbon trading in practice, my next guest is Thomas Gent, founder of Gentle Farming, which is believed to be the UK's first soil carbon offsetting service. Hi Thomas, how are you? Oh yes, hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thomas, I have a lot of questions um, about carbon trading because it's all very new to me as well. Um, But first things first, Gentle Farming is one of the first carbon trading platforms in the UK. So how do you actually measure the carbon that you're trading? Well, straight in with a tough question. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, 
we we have an online carbon calculation tool, much like the Cool Farm tool or the Farm Carbon Cutting Toolkit, if you've used any of them. Um, and basically what it allows farmers to do is come on the platform, input their field data on a field-by-field basis, so they can include as many or as few fields as they wish, um, and then they add in their field data, and that gives them an understanding of their carbon position in that crop year with in that with that particular field. Um, so we take account of all the bad things, you know, the, the fertilizers, the diesels, all that kind of thing, and then all the good things, the cover cropping and the tillage, and then what's the balance of all those practices after a year's harvest. Okay, so this year has been quite a wet harvest a lot of people have been drying their grain so would that be incorporated into that because you said it's by field but would that kind of include the crop once it's out of the field no so we so what we're looking for is because we're you know the target is to get more carbon stored in the soil right we're most we're just looking at what is the soil doing in this field so the so the the crop that comes off it um, well, I mean, we do take account of yields because that does affect the kind of plant growth in the field. But once that crop leaves the field, you know, that's not when that's not within the calculations anymore um, because we're looking at what that soil's doing um, to achieve the results we want it to, essentially. Okay. So does that mean it's based on honesty at the moment then? No, absolutely. So, so this is the so in carbon kind of carbon calculation world um, verification is the thing we're talking about now. So what we're talking about is verifying that what, you know, what somebody said they did actually happened. Okay. Um, which, you know, absolutely crucial. Um, otherwise, we're just making things up. So the, the verification process is super important. Um, and to do, we have kind of a few layers to do that. But the first layer we have um, is we work really closely with Hummingberg Technologies. We've got a kind of a strategic partnership with them. Um, and they obviously experts in um, satellite imagery analysis um, yeah. and they basically can tell us if there's a cover crop where you said there was going to be kind of in simple terms um, and the tillage practices didn't happen and that kind of thing um, and then obviously yeah farmers have to sign a contract to say the information they have inputted is correct uh, and then yeah there's kind of a few layers of verification after that yeah okay I guess it's similar to you know environmental schemes and stuff really yeah absolutely um so and then in terms of um you know what you're doing now with the business do you want to just tell us a bit about kind of the process and um you know when you set up where you're at with the business and how many farmers you've got involved and just kind of give us a bit of an overview there yeah absolutely um do you want me to go back to the start yeah go back to the start (laughs) yeah okay so so i'm a farmer um we've got a farm in south lincolnshire um, we've been farming sort of regeneratively, sustainably, whatever your word for it is, for about 12 or 13 years-ish. Um, and really in the first lockdown, I was a bit bored um, and I knew there was this kind of opportunity everybody was talking about in soil carbon. So I kind of set myself the challenge to see if I could sell the carbon credits from our farm because I knew in theory we was putting carbon in the soil and I knew in theory somebody might want to pay for that and support me to you know keep farming in this way essentially yeah so i set myself that challenge um i didn't really think it was going to be as hard as it was i suppose i'm probably a bit naive um but i spent the next year you know trying to make that a practical reality essentially um and i tried loads of systems out loads of different organizations technologies loads of different things um but the only one i liked that i came across was and delivered me the results i wanted on my farm really 
um, was a system called a greener. Um, it used to be called commodity carbon. Some people know it's that, um, but it's now a greener. Um, and yeah, like that's, this is the software that we use. Um, and when I came to them, the software didn't really fit a UK farm very well. So I worked with them quite closely to essentially develop it and bring it to the UK. Um, and then I set up Gentle Farming, which is kind of the UK partner of their of their system. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we, we formed that partnership at the start of this year. I think it was sort of February time. And now we're yeah we've just we've just closed for farmers to join for kind of 2021 harvest. I think we have 40 I think it's 42 farmers on the system at the minute. Um, and we've also last week just opened up for farmers to join for a 2022 season, the next harvest. Um, and yeah, we've got overwhelming interest, I would say. Oh, brilliant. And you say this is the first year that you'll be actually paying farmers for their carbon? Yeah, absolutely. So th- so like I said, yeah, we've just closed for farmers for 2021. Um, and this is the first year for the programme all the way across Europe. So there's about, I think there's about 120 farms in the system across Europe, um, including the UK. Um, and yeah, we've just we've just closed the whole system for 2021. Um, and these those farmers are going to get their first certificates issued to them. We're kind of aiming for October, November, late late like back end of this year, um, and then we'll be selling those. We're already pre-selling those credits at the minute, um, and then yeah, and then we kind of we'll be opening up for twenty twenty two as well. Kind of all in one go, I guess. <laughs> okay, and do you know how much each farm? is possibly going to make you know per hectare say yeah absolutely so obviously we get asked this a lot yeah <laughs> and i always i always i like I, I you know it's good to give an estimate because you know i'm a farmer as well and we like to have estimates but i always have to start this sentence with it depends it depends it yeah. depends on your soil type it depends you know what practices you're doing all that kind of thing um but just to give you a really rough average what we normally see is about two to three certificates yield per hectare per year um and then how much are those certificates worth is the next question yeah <laughs> the answer to that is we don't have a solid answer yet but we will towards the end of this year um but we're kind of seeing between 20 and 30 pounds per certificate okay. um yeah so that just sort of gives you a rough idea so you know i mean the incomes we're sort of talking say between 50 and 100 pounds a hectare a year depend depending on what you do okay and the price of um carbon credits are you expecting that to rise as kind of demand rises and um you know the market becomes a bit more sophisticated or do you think i don't know maybe more farmers will get involved so there'll be more credits out there so what we see in general carbon market is the huge rise in demand for nature-based carbon offsets so in the past the carbon offsetting market you know it's, it's predominantly been um, sort of renewable energy carbon projects. So, what you know, when they build a solar farm in India or somewhere, they produce some carbon credits that are sold. But we're seeing a huge interest and a growing interest, and you know, I think it's only going to keep growing in nature-based solutions. So, yeah, nature-based solutions kind of, you know, we would soil carbon would fit into that, and also trees would fit into that. Um, you know, hedgerows, oceans, kind of anything nature-based fits into that, and that's where the demand is because that's where. You know, that's where the excitement is, really, and where we can really make an impact on kind of the globe, essentially. So, um, yeah, we can, we're can. we only seeing a rise in the price of nature-based solutions credits, um, and I think we're only going to see a rise going forward, to be honest. Who are your customers that are actually buying the credits? I mean, you don't have to name any companies or anything, <laughs> but just kind of generally what industries are you seeing? Yeah, so, 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really good question. So um, the honest answer is we have conversations with everybody and anybody you could imagine, um, supermarkets, airlines, um, waste management companies, you know, agricultural businesses, everybody. Um, we, you know, um, Corteva, AgriScience have pre, pre-ordered uh, some, um, which is just, an, you know, that's sort of the only one that we've made public so far. Um, but, yeah, like we're actively taking pre-orders from quite a few companies at the minute um and yeah in terms of exactly who like (laughs) i mean the honest answer is we want to work with people you know want to work with businesses that are on the same path as as trying to you know support sustainable agriculture um we have a pretty strict esg policy so we're only going to work with companies that are you know actively looking at this and reducing their emissions before they offset because the certificate should always be the last option um, it should always be, you know, you should always be looking at your own practices um, and 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 an own businesses emissions before buying some certificates. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, in generally, in terms of who, the answer is we have conversations with everybody you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. In terms of you know what the rest of the world are doing, I've I've read all these articles about um, you know beef farms in Australia selling credits to Microsoft and all sorts so are we would you say that the uk is almost a bit behind compared to other parts of the world um where farmers are selling carbon yeah so like i would get from my from my opinion i would say that's quite a big misconception that we have i often get asked in the uk when we speak to i mean when you speak to an like a normal australian farmer or a normal american farmer they're very much in the same position as we are in the UK. There's kind of a couple of schemes sort of on the horizon maybe, but they're not really sure and they don't really understand how it works and all that kind of thing. So I would say, you know, we're pretty similar everywhere in the world at the minute. Um, but, yeah, there's going to be very quick. It's, you know, I think the market's going to open up and start to trade very, very quickly, but a lot quicker than people think. Um, but, yeah, I would say generally in the world we're probably – about that standard compared to everyone else really obviously i think what we've seen really is the australian and the americans are very good at pr okay. <laughs> um and um, just to manage to get the story out very well but i think the reality on the ground is it's not much different from here to be honest oh well that's good say one of our listeners you know you've inspired them they want to get started what what would the process be and what advice do you have for them yeah so it's a pretty simple process so the first thing to do is just comment on our website so if you just google gentle farming um will pop up um and then they've got a, like a uk support team that would be very happy to have a conversation with you and help you understand how it can kind of be implemented on your farm um but essentially the process is you know you make a make a profile on the on the calculation software on the agreena software um and then you input your field data and then um, you have to sign a contract to say kind of, you know, you're happy to commit to it. Um, and then we produce your certificates. The, sti- the important thing that we probably haven't talked about is the certificates are issued directly to the farmer. So this is something I was really passionate about when I was trying to find a solution. The farmer needs to be in control of his certificates. Yeah. So the certificates are issued directly to the farmer. They're in the farmer's, like, you know, imaginary shed, if you want to call it that. Um, and then the farmer can decide what he wants to do with them. So, you know, you can sell them yourself, you can find, um, you can keep them, you, or obviously we offer a broker service, kind of a bolt-on service where we'll trade them for you, um, but you're not forced to do that, which I think is quite important because, you know, these I think these are going to become a very valuable asset very quickly. 
and you need to be in control of what you decide you know you want to do with it essentially (laughs) okay that's brilliant well I think it's it's really impressive how you've set all this up in what feels like a very quick year and a half (laughs) thanks very much Thomas all right Crop Tech Show will return with the seminar programme, sprayer demonstration area and knowledge hubs, along with some exciting new twists and a brand new feature. We will also be introducing a farmer-led debate which will focus on regenerative agriculture asking, does it stack up on farm? A careers corner has also been added where you can get advice and tips on starting and developing your career in the arable industry. Join us this year on the 24th and 25th of November at the East of England showground in Peterborough and register for your free ticket today at www.croptechshow.com. Next up, we're going to look more towards the how-to. So the most reliable way to capture carbon, the fastest way to capture carbon, any limitations that farmers might come across when they're carbon trading. My next guest is Dr. Matt Aikenhead, who is a soil scientist and carbon expert at the James Hutton Institute. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Matt. I wanted to um, firstly talk about kind of the agronomic limitations for carbon capture, um, because I think there's kind of this view that land managers um, have this panacea where they can just capture all this carbon. But if you had, say, you know, um, an old meadow on your farm, for example, isn't it likely that that would already be carbon full and actually not capable of capturing any more carbon for farmers to sell? And there's, you know, big differences in soil types and the amount of carbon certain soils can hold, which would actually put quite a few farmers at a bit of a disadvantage here. It's a a very good point. Um, And yes, if the field has been left to equilibrate and the management hasn't changed for, for much then yes it's probably fairly stable in terms of the carbon and in order to to store more you'd have to radically shift the management so there's an important point here in terms of whether or not farmers should be paid for increasing the soil carbon that they've got or for actually maintaining the amount that they've got as a stock because there's a really strong argument to be made that grassland or meadow land should be maintained as it is because if you don't then you could lose that carbon and so do we want to just pay farmers to increase the stock or should we be paying them as well to look after what's already there yeah and then i guess on the flip side there might be opportunities to um improve that carbon capture of that meadow say if you you know planted trees or something on it in some cases yes and in some cases no it, it often really annoys people when scientists say it depends, but in this case it really does depend. Um, it depends on the type of tree, and there are multiple landscape factors, which can mean that it's not always a good idea to plant trees. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. If your interest is increasing carbon, and you don't care about the biodiversity, then it often makes sense to plant monoculture, fast-growing conifers, which will increase the carbon stock in the land. But we've seen that kind of monoculture and it's not great biodiversity-wise. If you plant slower-growing deciduous trees, then obviously you're going to get a slower carbon storage, but 
you might get improved biodiversity. So there is a trade-off, and it's not always the best idea. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because on one hand, we're being told to plant more trees. On the other, we're being told to improve biodiversity. But then those two elements actually aren't kind of conducive to each other all, all the time. Yes, I think a mistake has been made that it's a simple message. It really isn't a simple message. And quite often, policymakers do want a simple answer because it makes it easier to actually implement a policy. And in this case, planting trees, um, I've got got colleagues here, uh, Keith Matthews, and uh, also a colleague called Mike Perks at Forest Research, who have been doing a lot of work on this. And it's not a clear answer. And it's not a simple, straightforward, plant more trees, three word tagline. And in terms of um, the market for land, do you think that this drive to grow more trees is going to potentially push land values up? I mean, we've just heard that a fairly well-known brewery has bought up a Scottish estate to make themselves carbon neutral, which seems quite, quite dangerous territory if all these big companies start to do that. I think there's a massive risk here, actually. Um, yes, I think... There's a risk that farmers might not end up being the ones getting the financial benefit of increasing the soil carbon. Um, There's a risk of using it for offsetting purposes, which means that businesses might be thinking that they can just carry on business as usual, but they've they've bought a piece of land or they've paid a farmer to do something. So, yeah, there's there's a risk here. Um, I think that as the value of soil carbon or land itself increases, then you're inevitably going to get capital investment involved. And you can end up with that whole situation where you end up gentrifying farmland in the same way that's happened to urban areas and pricing farmers effectively off the land. And, you know, the macroeconomics of this might make sense, but that fails to consider the human or societal impacts and really doesn't help, I don't think. So... There's a lot of regulation needed, actually, in order to protect farmers who are not really the big players in this and they could end up getting steamrolled by big business and losing control of the livelihoods. Yeah, yeah, that's the worry, isn't it? And yeah. I've I've seen in the media as well there's a few concerns over actual ownership of carbon. Um, for example, you know, tenant farmers or um, I think it's in Ireland now they're saying that farmers can't claim carbon credits from... Um, forests that were state funded um, so there's... that's really true I mean I was looking at this and I think you've probably seen the same article as me I saw something published in Agriland yesterday yeah um, highlighting that the Irish Farmers Association has had to seek clarification whether or not farmers actually own the carbon in the trees on their land now can you imagine the consequences of a farmer being told that they don't own the carbon sequestered on their land that's I mean, I'd, I'd be out next to them with pitchforks. <laughs> if, if we end up going down that, that's, that's di- that leads directly to the thing that I was saying earlier about that big concern about farmers being priced out of their land. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's the, there's the whole, what do you call it? It's not eminent domain in this country. Um, compulsory purchase. Mm. I mean, if it, it's possible to force someone to sell the land if it's seen as really important for some other purpose. And there's a risk here you know that farmers could lose control of their land if things aren't managed and regulated properly 
Yeah. And then on on that market's point as well, um, sort of thinking more about crop markets, um, obviously some crops will capture a lot more carbon than others. So do you think that there's also potential that the focus on carbon could push or skew crop markets? So, you know, the market being flooded with pulses, for example. I think actually, well, pulses are not a great example to use in this case. Okay because they are actually particularly good in terms of soil health, uh, in terms of soil carbon, and also in terms of producing a protein crop, which can be used to enhance our food security. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scientific evidence, and there's a lot of people arguing about this topic, about the consumption of red meat and protein supply. And it's arguably much more efficient to, to grow pulses and use them to feed people than to grow pulses and use them to feed cattle. Mm-hmm. There are some other crops, like you say, um, which could replace food production because they're economically more beneficial, and that has implications for food security. But again, that comes to the fact that we need proper regulation for this to protect land managers from these strong market forces. Yeah. And this is probably a really broad question and maybe not one that you'll be able to answer very specifically, but what is the fastest method to sequester carbon for a farmer? (laughs) It it depends. Um, It depends on the the type of land. So if you're talking about arable cropping, which is likely to have fairly low carbon content because there will have been lots of ploughing and lots of extraction from the land, then there's a lot of management options that are broadly under regenerative agriculture that can help with this. So cover crops and mulching of cover crops, the timing of of, of ploughing is really important. Um, One really simple straightforward one is the ploughing along contours rather than up and down a field. So this this makes a lot of sense to me in terms of not making hundreds of little streams in your field where the water just runs downstream. In arable soils, the biggest loss of carbon is very possibly through erosion. And so if you can have your soil covered and not having soil getting washed off the fields, then that prevents you from losing your soil carbon. In terms of adding soil, uh, sorry, in terms of adding carbon to that kind of land, the fastest way is probably the addition of manure, compost, or biochar. Mm-hmm. So that's adding carbon directly from other sources. However, this doesn't mean that the carbon has to come from somewhere else, and that's almost inevitably from somebody else's land. Increasing the carbon stock in grassland, which tends to already have a higher carbon stock than arable land, then the processes that you might look at are slightly different because uh, grassland doesn't get ploughed every year Mm. and so it's not a case of not ploughing anymore Uh, I would say that alterations to pH and to the moisture content within the soil so if you can stop the soil from draining and keep it moist during the summer um, that's when you have the greatest risk of soil organic matter decomposing or drying out blowing away so there are management practices there's increasing the pH through liming can change the the forage ecology and that can have an impact on the carbon that's going into the soil. And we've talked quite a lot about the risks 
in this conversation. But do you think there are a lot of opportunities for farmers um, when it comes to carbon trading? I think there are a lot of opportunities. I think that uh, in Scotland, in particular, the, the NFUS, National Farmers Union of Scotland, have become aware of the opportunities and the risks. And they are very keen, and I agree with them, that farmers need to retain control over this as much as possible so that they get the benefits instead of somebody else coming in and paying them to do something, which means that to a certain extent they'll lose control over the process. Yeah. I think there are opportunities, but that means that there has to be a fairly clear and well-explained framework because farmers are busy people mm. um, so that they can actually gain access to the information that they need and, and take advantage of it. And I don't think we're there yet. I think there's a bit of a Wild West thing going on at the moment where everybody thinks there's a lot of money in this mm. and there's a lot of snake oil merchants diving in and selling what isn't really there yet. Um, it's it's a exciting and active and dynamic time for carbon trading, but it needs to stable out and become a little bit more steady before these opportunities can be realised. Yeah, but I think the worry for me would be, you know, we we wait so long that somebody else kind of grabs the bull by the horns and takes ownership of it before farmers get the chance. It depends what they take ownership of. If they're taking ownership of the marketplace and making money off it, then yes. But farmers need to be able to buy into a marketplace. So there has to be something set up. Yeah. I think the best marketplace that could be developed is would be one that was, de- was co-constructed by agriculture and policymakers and regulatory bodies in the country. And that's kind of happened to a certain extent it's still developing but we're getting there um there's a lot of consultants and businesses uh, out there that are looking to make money out of this and i would be i would always say to people be very cautious about the massive opportunities that are touted yeah definitely that's good advice thank you matt great to chat with you thanks, well. thanks for the opportunity And last, but by no means least, I'm very pleased to have my final guest here on today's podcast, offering us that real-world view. I have Staffordshire large-scale arable farmer and early adopter of carbon trading, Clive Bailey, who sold his first carbon credits this season. Hi, Alice. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. All good. Good. So, Clive, um, many farmers are very interested in carbon trading at the moment, but few are actually doing it. You're one of probably the first in the UK um, to be selling certified carbon credits now. So what was it that convinced you that you wanted to try it? Uh, Right, well, I guess it goes right back to the kind of changes we made on the farm going back um, over a decade now uh, as we moved to the kind of no-tillage regenerative agriculture kind of system and a part of that although that was originally a kind of very much a financial and a fixed costs type structure and trying to utilize sunlight and water far better to hopefully grow better crops and better yields um a big part of that that i quickly realized is that we were actually through use of cover crops and um, and kind of incorporating organic matters more often into the surface of the soil and not using tillage to kind of re-oxidize uh, that carbon that we were actually um providing like a, a, 
sequestering service and, and capturing carbon. So that led me to kind of look into, well, you know, this is this is a product um, that, that solves a, a problem that's talked about a lot now in the media. Um, and how can we as farmers capitalise on it? How can we actually, um, you know, get, get paid for providing this service? Um, so that's what kind of led me towards it initially. And how much of the farm now are you selling carbon from? So this is the first year that we've that we've kind of actually been able to ISO certify carbon, which was a big part of having a product that's actually credibly saleable. It's all very well saying, hey, I sequest carbon, um, you know, and asking large corporates to dip their hand in the pocket and give me money for that. But without any kind of evidence, um, that's not going to happen, basically. So we needed the access to the, the, the tools to be able to quantify and prove what we were doing was what we said we were doing. Um, so this is year one. Um, what I've done, we, we farm uh, our own land and we contract farm for, for others as well. For the first year, I've kept this very much the land that we own um, uh, to, to see how it goes. If it all works well for us and, and no, no problems arise, it's something we'll extend out to our contract farm customers. So at, at that point, it would be on, on all the acreage we farm. So at the moment, it's it's kind of less than half of, uh, of our actual cropped area. Yeah, okay. And what has the process been and how have you kind of found the process? Have you found it fairly easy or have you got any kind of reservations about it? Yeah, it's, it, it's simple. I mean, we use the, the Gentle Farming platform, um, which uses um, an, an ISO certification tool um, built by a company called Agrina. Uh, they were Commodity Carbon, I think, or something before. That platform really is like a desktop study that asks questions on a field-by-field field basis about cropping, fertiliser use, fuel use, uh, residue incorporations, rotations, uh, soil types, rainfalls. It puts all this together um with an algorithm to basically give you a, a figure of carbon that you are, in theory, likely to be sequesting through those techniques. It's, it's a really useful decision-making tool, actually, because you can you can look as you're planning your cropping and say, well, you know, if I grew more acres of rye, will that give me more carbon to sell? Um, if I if I chop all my straw residues rather than sell them, um, you know, the, you've got a definite kind of uh, financial incentive to, to do that because you see the quantity of carbon that the, the algorithm says that there's been sequestered increase or reduce depending on your farming practices. Even things like using um, your greener diesel sources and whatever reflects on your, your your kind of carbon that you have available to sell. Now, reservations-wise, I, I don't think that this platform is perfect for a minute. I don't think the people that create it would, would say it's perfect, but I think this all has to start somewhere. It's being backed up by physical data where samples are being taken in fields to check that the, the theory matches the practice. So I think this will evolve and get better um, as, as time goes on. But it all has to start somewhere, basically, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And you said about kind of um, how you can look at how different agronomic practices influence your carbon. The, the price that you get for carbon now, would you change your the way you're doing things not necessarily a lot but maybe just a little bit just to you know have a bit to have a bit more carbon to sell yeah it, it, it definitely kind of influences decisions on sale of uh, sale of crop residues like straw uh, and um, you, know, you find things like crops like rye which create a lot of biomass for instance are you know suddenly look at look more viable um, when you're taking in the, the, the carbon sequestration into account as well as just the kind of sale output of the sale of the crop and um, for a farm like us that's been um, practicing the regenerative agriculture for, for, for some time now, it, it 
kind of is rewarding us in many ways for what we're already doing yeah. and that does lead to a question uh, and a reservation that a lot of people have that is this whole thing of greenwashing kind of uh, you know and, and not really making any real difference but I think even up, even for us it does because it does influence those decisions and helps us to refine our system and make it even better and sequester even more carbon and for a farmer who perhaps in the past has said well that whole no-till region agriculture route that doesn't work for me because it will reduce my um, my physical output if they can use this this kind of new this, the sale of carbon to buffer maybe their perceived losses of the system it will I think make very could positively change those kind of farms where they go actually this is the this is the difference. This is what actually suddenly makes these these new techniques or these you know lighter touch or better environmental practices more viable for me. And of course, we're talking about carbon, but the the environmental benefits of these systems are, are far wider than that in terms of biodiversity and soil erosion and uh, wildlife habitat and all of that's quite well documented. So, although it's just the carbon we're talking about and being paid for here, there is a, a wider um, kind of narrative that actually environmentally it. it pushes for the, yeah, that improvement and for a, for a kind of a the buyers which at this point tend to be large corporates of corporate social responsibility policies and whatever um they're looking i think although the carbon is a thing that's that's very much in everyone's front of everyone's mind now um but they they often see uh, that the uh, you know that the other wider environmental benefits so that ends up potentially robbing robbing the carbon markets in the future possibly becoming a race to the bottom i think we've got to look at the, uh, the the wider picture as well and talk about more the, the, the wider gains. Yeah, that's a really good point. And if it encourages people to, you know, farm more sustainably than they might have otherwise, then surely that can never be a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I think, you know, it's a really interesting debate that's, that I've discussed with quite a few people since we've gone down this route. But, yeah, you know, you could, you can, you could quite credibly say that a farmer is already growing cover crops, already incorporating crop residues and whatever, but then start selling their carbon. Well, you're kind of paying them to do what they're already doing. My argument would be, though, why shouldn't they be paid for that if it's a valuable service that can help um, help with the, the climate change issue? But also, for those people that aren't doing that, they suddenly have another incentive uh, to, to kind of change their system more towards the, you know, that way of doing things. Yeah, completely. And in terms of where things are going, where do you see kind of the future of carbon trading for farmers? I mean, for me, I think I worry that somebody else is going to get there first. So, you know, the supermarkets are going to say, you need to be net zero, otherwise we're not going to buy from you and things like that. So I'm interested to to see where you think things are going to go. Yeah, I think you're right, and actually, I think this is why I think as farmers we really need to try and lead this from the front and be in control of this process rather than rather than waiting for those things to happen. I think there's a lot of companies, you know, the supply chain upwards and downwards from the farm gate will be very keen to push their carbon footprint onto onto the farmer, um, and I think that doesn't really work. I mean, if you if you if you go down that rabbit hole, ultimately all carbon is the responsibility of the consumer. Um, I think to that end, however, we probably in the future I wouldn't be at all surprised if we don't see carbon taxes. Um, the, you know, it's a, it's a bit like a sugar tax. It's a tax that's good for us all, so not yeah. one politically reasonably acceptable. Uh, when that happens, I think, or if that happens, I should say, I think the carbon market then will grow very rapidly because there will be opportunities for companies rather than paying their carbon tax to 
buy offset instead, rather than the current reason. The current reason anybody would only buy carbon um, is because of a, you know, a, a want to do so. No one needs to buy carbon. They do it you know, because it's, they, they feel it's the right thing or the right image for their business, um, but, but no one has any necessity to right now. If a tax was introduced um, and you could buy credits cheaper than paying the tax, that changes things dramatically and could lead to um, you know, carbon bond markets, um, so it's you know, to make it more, more liquidity in the market, so it's more tradable. Um, so I, th- I think there's quite an exciting future. I mean, I, I've kind of long believed that really there's you know, Elon Musk offering prizes for people to, to come up with carbon capture machines and, and, and ways to kind of solve these problems. And, and actually, Mother Nature knows how to do this. And yeah. farmers are, you know, have a great ability here and a fantastic opportunity to really capitalise on that if, if we can organise ourselves, get it right, keep it farmer-led, and, and don't, let, um, don't let big business just take this opportunity away from us. Yeah. It is a fear. You're quite right on that one. Yeah, yeah. And it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I'm, it's totally not a perfect system at the moment. Um, there's, there's lots of questions. You can blow holes in various aspects of it, but it all has to start somewhere or it doesn't start at all is my, my, out, my outlook on it. Yeah, that's a, that is really true. Excellent. Well, thank you, Clive. It's been great to chat and hear your experience. Thanks, Alice. I'm afraid that is all we've got time for in today's episode but I think we had a really good balance of arguments there and some really interesting points came up that will hopefully provide you with some clarity on the topic of carbon trading. As always if you enjoyed the podcast please do subscribe and if you really enjoyed it leave us a review and share it with your friends. See you next time.